Hi everyone, it's John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. We're a proud part of the 1001 Stories Network, and we like to think of ourselves as caffeine for the curious. I wanted to make this week's 1001 Stories for the Road episode one that could appeal to each and every one of you listeners out there, no matter where you are in the world. There is one thing that you all have in common, and that's the English language. And the English language, like most others, has a wealth of proverbs. You know, those short, pithy sayings that express a commonly held truth or piece of advice, usually based on common experience. In going through this list, and these are just the ones that start with A, I was reminded of some I hadn't heard for years, others that were old favorites, and some that were new to me. I hope you enjoy this short, pithy trek through the English language. Let's start with this one. A bad penny always turns up. The meaning? A disreputable or prodigal person will always return. And somewhat less popular, the recurrence of any unwanted event. And what's the origin of that phrase? This proverb has been around a long time. It could derive from the notion that some coins were bad. That is, they were either debased, meaning they no longer had value, or they were counterfeit. The clipping of coins was common in the Middle Ages, long before standardization of the coinage was reliably enforced. Clipped coins were torn at the edge, for reasons unknown, and could tear clothing, or put a nick in your hand, or just generally present a problem. The term, bad penny, first appeared in the late 14th century, for it to have been used in William Langland's famous prose poem, Piers Plowman. Men may compare lettered men to a bad penny. Lettered men meaning men with advanced degrees. Perhaps they weren't made to feel welcome among groups of less educated men, who would liken them to a bad penny. Whatever the history, we get the idea that if you clip or pass on a bad penny, it won't be long before it comes back to you and you change. Our present-day expression of that would be, what goes around, comes around. And here's a good old saw, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. One of my favorites, and one of the most commonly used phrases in the English language, because it describes so many situations. And what it really says is that it's better to have a lesser but certain advantage than the possibility of a greater one that may come to nothing. It's really warning against taking unnecessary risks. It's better to keep what you have, the bird, than to risk getting more and ending with nothing. Two birds out of your reach. Another way to look at this proverb applies to medieval falconry, where the bird in the hand, which was the falcon, was a valuable asset and certainly worth more than two in the bush, the prey. It may well be that both of these meanings were intended by the coiners of the proverb, which may go a long ways to explaining why it has resonated so well over the centuries. It was first found in John Haywood's 1546 glossary, a dialogue containing the number and effect of all the proverbs in the English tongue, and that had to have been a big job. And he wrote, Better one bird in hand than ten in the wood. Variants that explicitly mention birds in hand come later. 
The earliest of these is in Hugh Rhodes' The Book of Nurture, or School of Good Manners, which came out in 1530. A bird in hand, spelled B-Y-R-D, is worth ten fly at large. The bird in hand was adopted as a pub name in England in the Middle Ages, and many with this name still survive. English and German migrants to America took the expression with them, and bird in hand must have been known there by 1734, as this was the year in which a small town in Pennsylvania's Dutch country was founded with that name, bird in hand. Those people, mostly Amish, Quaker, and Mennonite, must have had quite a sense of humor in naming their towns, giving them names like bird in hand, intercourse, and paradise. It is told that they have very large families as well. And who hasn't heard this one? A dog is a man's best friend. As Gomer Pyle would have said, How true, how true, how true. They are loyal to a fault. They are always excited to see you. They never find fault with you. They would face down a full-grown mountain lion to protect you. A cat would watch that all from the nearest branch. And let's face it, dog spelled backwards is God. Cat spelled backwards is tack, meaning something that can draw blood if you handle it the wrong way. Please, no bad reviews, cat owners. I'm busy enough with shark lovers, pronunciation experts, and non-Christians. The greatest claim to fame of Warrensburg, Missouri, is that it is where the phrase, a dog is a man's best friend, originated. Bet you didn't know that. In 1870, a farmer shot a neighbor's dog, and in the subsequent court case in which the owner sued for damages, the lawyer George Graham Vest gave a tear-jerking speech that became known as the eulogy to a dog. And this is how it went. Gentlemen of the jury, a man's dog stands by him in prosperity and poverty, in health and sickness. He will sleep on the cold ground where the wintry winds blow. "'and the snow drives fiercely. "'If only he can be near his master's side. "'He will kiss the hand that has no food to offer. "'He will lick the wounds and sores "'that come in encounter with the roughness of the world. "'He guards the sleep of his pauper master "'as if he were a prince. "'When all other friends desert, he remains. "'When riches take wings and reputation falls to pieces, "'he is as constant in his love as the sun in its journey through the heavens. A statue of old drum, as the deceased beast was called, stands outside the town's courtroom. Sadly for the Warrensburg Tourist Board, Senator Vest didn't originate the phrase, but he may have read it in a U.S. newspaper, as it appeared in print 50 years earlier in the New York Literary Journal, Volume 4, 1821. And that read, The faithful dog, why should I strive to speak his merits while they live? In every breast, and man's best friend does often at his heels attend. And then there's this very true proverb. A drowning man will clutch at a straw. So what's the meaning of clutch at a straw? Well, clutch means to grab at. A straw was chosen as the height of futility as a means of rescue. Being as it was a flimsy and virtually valueless waste product, it was often used as a synonym for the most unimportant and trifling of objects. I don't care a straw was an indication of indifference. A man of straw was an insubstantial adversary, and to condemn someone to straw was to declare them ready for the madhouse. A straw dog is an argument put forth that really deceives the listener 
as to the real intent of the argument. To clutch at straws is now used as a figurative phase to describe any desperate situation. When the expression was coined, it specifically referred to drowning. The notion of a drowning man anxiously seeking any port in a storm was first expressed by Sir Thomas More in a dialogue of comfort against tribulation in 1534. And that read, A man in peril of drowning catcheth whatsoever cometh next to hand, be it never so simple a stick. That metaphor expresses futility rather well. Straws do float, but a drowning man would have to be pretty much out of other ideas if he put any reliance on it bearing his weight. The moral as I see it is that when you're in trouble or when you're in a panic, rather than grabbing at the first solution that comes to you, have the courage and the fortitude to take a look at all the options and choose the right one. Don't pick in a rush. What's the real meaning of the phrase, a penny saved is a penny earned? Well, it's pretty simple. It's as useful to save money that you already have as it is to earn more. And where did that phrase originate? The original form of this proverb used got or gained instead of earned. That's recorded as early as the 17th century in George Herbert's outlandish proverbs circa 1633. A penny spared is twice got. The notion appears to have been that by declining to spend a penny and to save one's money instead, you are a penny up rather than a penny down. Hence, twice got. The first usage of the current form of the phrase is sometimes attributed to Ben Franklin. His actual quote was a penny saved is two pence clear. Meaning that by earning it, you got one. And by not spending it, you got two. And so the idea seems to be that by declining to spend a penny and to save one's money, instead, you're a penny up rather than a penny down. Put yourself in a position of being a penny down, and how far does it take you to be a penny up? It takes two cents, two pennies. And here's a good one. A person is known by the company he keeps. A favorite parable of every parent when it comes to their teenage kids. If you're hanging with a bad crowd, you'll bring trouble down upon yourself sooner or later. You may not be the wrongdoer, but you will be guilty by association. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. This famous fortune cookie phrase is the best way to say, go for it, while at the same time saying that this one step may take you a long ways. All you have to do is invest the energy to take the first one. And another good one. A leopard cannot change its spots. What's the meaning of the phrase, a leopard can't change its spots? The notion that things cannot change from their innate nature. You are what you are. He is what he is. And that's from the Bible, Jeremiah 13, 23, King James Version. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good, that are accustomed to do evil. And this one I've always wondered about. A pig in a poke. What's the meaning of the phrase, a pig in a poke? It's an offer or a deal that is foolishly accepted without being examined first. Don't buy a pig in a poke might seem odd and archaic language. It's true that the phrase is very old, but actually it can be taken quite literally, and it's still good advice today. The advice being given is, don't buy a pig until you've seen it. This is enshrined in British commercial law as caveat emptor, Latin meaning, let the buyer beware. 
This remains the guiding principle of commerce in many countries, and in essence supports the view that if you buy something, you take responsibility to make sure it is what you intended to buy. A poke is a sack or a bag. It has a French origin as poke, P-O-Q-U-E. And like several other French words, its diminutive is formed by adding E-T-T-E or E-T, hence pocket. Pocket began life with the meaning small bag. Poke is still in use in several English-speaking countries, notably Scotland and the USA, and describes just the sort of bag that would be useful for carrying a piglet to market. A pig that's in a poke might turn out to be no pig at all. If a merchant tried to cheat by substituting a lower-value animal, the trick could be uncovered by letting the cat out of the bag. Many other European languages have a version of this phrase, most of them translating into English as a warning not to buy a cat in a bag. This advice has stood the test of time, and people have been repeating it in one form or the other for at least 500 years, maybe longer. Frazier's Magazine, 1858, reprinted a piece from Richard Hill's Commonplace Book of 1530, which gave this advice to market traders. When ye proffer the pig, open the poke. John Haywood included something nearer to our modern-day version of the phrase in Proverbs and Epigrams, 1555. I will ne'er buy the pig in the poke. There's many a foul pig in the fair choke. And this last one, Achilles' heel. What is the meaning of Achilles' heel? Well, many of us know it means a weak or vulnerable factor. What's its origin? The legend of Achilles has it that he was dipped into the river Styx by his mother, S-T-Y-X, just like the music group. His mother's name was Thetis, and she did it in order to make him invulnerable. His heel wasn't covered by water, though. That was the one place she was holding when she dipped him, and he was later killed by an arrow wound to his heel. That was his Achilles' heel. Although the legend is ancient, the phrase wasn't picked up in English until the 19th century. It's used as a metaphor for vulnerability as in this early citation, an essay by Samuel Taylor Coleridge in The Friend, a literary, moral, and political weekly paper, 1810. Ireland, that vulnerable heel of the British Achilles. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road for our first installment of Proverbs 1001, Proverbs for the Road. We hope you enjoyed it. And now there's a way for you to support our 1001 Stories podcast network. Just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. And you can choose any level of participation you would like in order to help us out. We appreciate your sponsorship very, very much. Thank you. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.